0: Welcome people of the world, I'm Tequila.
1: And I'm Jen, and you're listening to Inside Stories Podcast, where Tequila and I explore Madison one story at a time.
0: Yes, and we have grouped together some amazing episodes for you for our podcast. These ones are presented in partnership with Isthmus Community Media here in Madison. They've been a source of local news and media and culture and all kind of good stuff since the 70s. I wasn't even born yet. 1976.
1: Okay. I was 10. Um, so we're this season, there's going to be 12 episodes. And so they come from three different places. So some of them are from Listen to Your Mother, which is a storytelling event that happened in the Barrymore on um, Atwood Avenue a bunch of years ago. Some are from the Odyssey Project writing class, which um, was on Park Street at the South Partnership Project building. Park Street. Everything right. happens on Park Street in Madison Good. There is a lot mm-hmm. happening in that one particular area. So, anyhow, so these are stories that were told at the end of the writing class, or there's stories that were told at the Heinen Saloon as part of the Moth Story Slam.
0: Yes. So thank you to all of our listeners who've been rocking with us since our podcast started, day one. And thank you to all the new listeners. And a special thanks to Isthmus for featuring our podcast and giving us some extra shine and More reach for our listeners. And if this is your first time listening, make sure you share with your friends. Yes, for sure. Share and hit us up at Inside Podcasts, Inside
1: Stories Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, one day we're going to get that right. Um, So hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome back to
0: Inside Stories. I'm Jen. And I'm Tequila. Here on Inside Stories, we take a story that was told here in Madison at one of our live storytelling events. Um, We listen to it with the
1: reader, break it down, and talk about it. And this week, we have Jennifer Esperanza here with us. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for coming. Uh, So we're going to listen to a story that Jennifer told at the Moth Story Slam two years ago. And theme of the night? It was schooled. Great. All right, let's listen to the story.
2: So one thing you might not know about having immigrant parents is that you as a kid can get away with a lot of things, Uh, especially if you have parents who aren't confident in their command of the English language, uh, have no clue uh, about American traditions, um, and the foods in the grocery store are really, really foreign to you. So this was the case for my brother and I growing up here in the United States. Our parents uh, are immigrants from the Philippines and they came in the 1970s and settled in San Francisco, California, where I was born and raised. So uh, from a very early age, my brother and I kind of grew up. Right? We were responsible for a lot of things. Um, We translated for our parents as soon as we were able to go to school, speak English. Uh, We also had to tell them about American traditions. Uh, And this is where we took full advantage of our parents' ignorance about American culture. So not only did we do responsible things like translating school information cards Right, you know, things they have to fill out beginning of school, right? We had to fill them out ourselves because they didn't understand, like, what was going on. So we did that. um, And we would always have to translate at parent-teacher conferences. Um, We also kind of um, took creative license uh, over some of the things that American kids are supposed to do. For example, um, Come Halloween time, uh, there's this thing that we had to explain to our parents about trick-or-treating, right? So kids come to your door and they knock and, you know, trick-or-treat and they ask for for candy. And so we explained to our parents that, yeah, this was very typical. Kids are going to come and ask for candy, but you need to give them big armfuls of candy, (laughs) right? Preferably uh, chocolates and Smarties. Uh, Which, you know, you'd have to buy bags and bags in them. So they were like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, So we were a very popular house uh, during Halloween. Um, The other thing was, uh, oh, uh, you always needed to keep like school supplies at home. So this is something that not a whole lot of immigrant parents know is that if you have homework, sometimes you have to finish that homework at home. And, uh, you know, with uh, you need like Elmer's glue and hole punches and things like that they had no clue what those were so we ended up having to tell them yes uh you know if you need glue we cannot mix white rice that was left over from dinner <laughs> with with you know water as a paste that doesn't we need a bottle of Elmer's glue right so okay duly noted yes Americans bought you know Elmer's glue um the other thing was uh oh uh, Swanson's family dinners. So um, every American child needs to have Swanson's family dinners, right? Preferably Salisbury steak with the little brownie in the middle. Yeah, that's that's a true American. And my parents, God bless them, right? They worked really hard. They each had like two jobs. Um, you know, long commutes into the city when we moved out to the suburbs. So you know, they happily obliged. They wanted us to fit in. So picture this: It's 1982. I'm in third grade. And the next lesson for my parents is that every American little girl needs a dollhouse. Okay, and in my case, uh, it has to be the Barbie townhouse. So any of you who know about Barbie culture, there's a difference, there's Barbie dream house and there's a Barbie townhouse, right? Uh, dream house is, is really the dream house, it's opulent. It's like, you know, detached, single home, two stories with stairs and the whole thing, Um, even with a garage, like, to the side, fully furnished. Um, I knew this was way out of my league. Um, You know, I knew my parents couldn't afford it, and so I was thinking, well, you know, if they can't afford it, Santa's not going to get me the Barbie dream house, so let's just settle for, like, Barbie townhouse. That's, That's more like what Santa, you know, could realistically give me. So I'm trying to explain to my mom, okay, we need to have the Barbie townhouse. This is something that I really want, right? It's tall and narrow, right? Doesn't have a garage, right? Barbie, she can perfectly, you know, park on the street. She doesn't need that, right? Um, but it was three stories long and narrow, right? There was no guest room like Barbie dream house. So she just had a single bed, a twin, right? So. You know, Barbie's keeping it chaste, right? It's a <laughs> twin bed and just really sparse furnishings, like bed, I think one couch and like a table and a chair. Um, so this is like my goal. So I'm explaining this to her and she's, you know, I'm saying, you know, Santa needs to get me the, the Barbie townhouse. And one way that she, you know, that, that part that uh, Santa can, can give this to me is if we leave out treats. Right. For Santa. Every American child, as I've seen, leaves treats. So chocolate chip cookies and white milk, especially. And my mom, in her typical typical immigrant fashion, what's chocolate chip cookies? I don't know what that is. So I explained to her and she's like, no, 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 we can't do that. I have no idea what that is. Um, why don't I just go to to the bakery right by my office at work and I'll get something and I'll bring it home. That that's fine. So I'm like, oh, God. All right get the treats for Santa, Santa, right? And on Christmas Eve, we'll lay it out for him with a glass of milk. So she comes home on the the night of Christmas Eve from work, pink box, and I'm so excited. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, chocolate chip cookie, she's pulling through, she's gonna get it, and I'm gonna get that townhouse. Um, So as I move closer to the box, I realize it's this pink box that is from Chinatown, from the Chinese bakery which I remember does not have chocolate chip cookies whatsoever. So I open it and out comes this, a dozen of um, what's called hopia. So a lot of Asian cultures have this, they're like mooncakes, right? They look like hockey pucks, pastry with bean in the middle. What American treat has bean in the middle? So I'm crying and she's like, it's perfectly fine, you know, way tastier than those sorry ass chocolate whatever's that white kids leave out for Santa. So I go to bed convinced that I'm not going to get my Barbie townhouse. Um, so I go to bed, get some sleep, wake up. But when I get to the living room to check and see, I see the Barbie townhouse. And I'm perplexed because we didn't leave the chocolate chip cookies. And I look to the corner of my eye and the plate that we had left out for Santa with the moon cakes and the mug of tea, not the glass of milk, um, were completely consumed with just crumbs left. And it was at that moment that I got schooled. All of these cultural lessons I was giving my mom, right? She would listen and just happily oblige. And her insistence that these cakes were perfectly fine for Santa, and they were ter- perfectly acceptable, right? That I was so ashamed about. Um, he just polished, and I got my townhouse. Thanks. <laughs>
1: I love how, you know, we all sort of underestimate our parents. I feel like my children underestimate me, right? But like parents know what's going on.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, I always felt that there was a sense of um, authority I had over American culture and um, you know, there's a little bit of arrogance, I think, that that happens when you're a kid that's always asked to um, translate for your parents or to pro- provide the cultural rules. And in this case, um, you know, thinking back to it, it was like, yeah, she knew what was going on. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really humbling lesson for me.
0: And that's one that kids have anyway, that arrogance that I know better than my parents do. Like, I'm smarter than you in third grade. Like, just listen to me, Mom. So, yeah, that was probably a lesson you would have learned anyway. But that was kind of cool. You learned it in that way that, yeah, your mom knows some stuff. Yeah, she
2: knows exactly. And that's one of the things. I'm a parent myself. I've got um, two boys and... You know, there are moments when I feel like I could tell them directly like what the lesson is and then there are these moments where I kind of hold back and have them learn themselves. It doesn't happen often. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more inclined to like tell them directly what the lesson should be. But um, there are those moments where I realize, oh, let me just hold back a little. And maybe that was what was going on with my mom. Um, maybe she was wanting to hold back and think about, well, let Jen decide or let Jen figure out that, Santa will eat those mooncakes.
1: Yeah, one thing I'm just curious about, it's it's not an important part of the story, but does white white rice paste work? Like, was it, so you just didn't want it because it was weird, but it it actually does work? It actually does work. It works like
2: Elmer's glue. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, if you talk to other Asian-American kids. Um, We talk about it on Facebook, on these different, you know, chat groups and things like that. Um, It's kind of a shared experience that not a whole lot of kids talk about. But when it becomes revealed, like on Facebook, you know, message boards about how many of you had white rice and water? Yeah, we all had that. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard of that. That's interesting. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, One thing I did... uh connect with you on the Barbie townhouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a big Barbie. I think the girls today will never know the seriousness of having your Barbie stuff in (laughs) order. That includes the house, the car, her little extra outfits. Outfits.
2: And then I had, I think like a carrying case that had like a, uh, what is it, a coat rack or a, Mm -hmm. yeah, a rack to hang up the the Barbie clothes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was actually (laughs) describing this to my daughter several years ago because my best friend across the street growing up, she had you know, all these older sisters, she had all the Barbie stuff. And so we would spend the day, you know, be this very careful, like, okay, it's your turn. You pick one piece of furniture. Okay, now it's your turn, you know? And so we would, and then we'd yeah. outfit the house. And then she said, well, th- then what would you do at- once the houses were set up? And I thought, oh no, then we're done. I think like you set it up. That's yeah. the whole thing. And then, and then, yeah. and then I don't know what we did. That
2: we did in, yeah, that in it, it itself is play, right? right. The, the playing is the setting up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sit
1: back and kind of look at it, but then, yeah.
2: You continue. Mm
1: -hmm. So um, I really liked how you constructed the story. Thanks. Yeah, so so because you you end with this really strong, you know, realization, like you got the thing and you realize like your mom was smarter than you thought all along. And so Mm -hmm. it seemed to me that you like, sort of front loaded stuff to have that work right like
2: yeah yeah and and so that was actually my struggle with with telling the story cuz you can hear the bell ringing cuz i i don't remember how many minutes were given
1: you're given so the 5 minute bell went off and then the 6 minute bell and i like at least yeah. it seems to me that you did what i what i always wish people would do which is that, like just finished the story, you know right. you know like like you didn't super rush it at the end.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was conscious of the fact that I needed to speed it up, but I couldn't in the delivery. right. And that was really difficult. Um, and when I was devising the story, I've always had this particular story in my head, you know even my kids know the Christmas story with the moon cakes and the Barbie house. Um, and so for me, I always wanted to find a venue to tell it. And so when school came up, It was, I don't even think it was the first choice I had, but it was somewhere, you know, along the lines of like second or third choice story. Um, And for me, the struggle when I was coming up with it was how to front load. And I hadn't realized I needed to tell the background story of um, what immigrant um, kids have to do, uh, on behalf of their parents. And I actually spent so much time doing the buildup that I felt, I felt bad actually when I was telling this story, when the, when the bell rang, because I realized, oh, I spent much too long on that buildup. Um, or maybe not, uh, it, yeah, it's, I've retold this sort of story in one more venue and it was much shorter uh, much more abbreviated that beginning part, and I felt a lot better about that second half because I could really tell that second half about um, you know waking up on Christmas morning and and telling it um, in the way that I wanted to without feeling rushed. Well,
1: to me, I mean, if I mean, I, I get how. You would like it to go better, but I do feel like you very much conveyed oh, thanks. what you want to say. And and the thing for me that was interesting is I feel like I've heard many people that I know talk about what it was like to have to translate for their parents mm-hmm. and like tell the serious like the serious work of it. Yeah, but it, I hadn't really thought about how you could also just kind of make stuff up oh yeah <laughs> you know, so yeah so it's kind of, it was fun to kind of get both ends of that
2: yeah i forgot that um in this version i didn't talk about uh the fact that i would write my own excuse notes for absences at school that was something that i did since i was like in in junior high um yeah. So little things like that. So it's not, I didn't want it to, to be so much of a story of, you know, the immigrant kids struggle and poor me, I got a compromised childhood, nothing like that. I had a perfectly fine childhood. I had a lot of fun. Um, and so I wanted to make it more lighthearted, kind of the the story behind what it means to, to have um, a, co- a better command of English than your parents. Yeah. And you
0: did a good job of kind of Switching that angle, and I know you mm-hmm. kind of recrafted the story for that specific theme. So, can you talk a little bit more about how you did that? Because you said you told it a different time, and then you added more to the end. So, maybe, like you said, you woke up in the morning, and here's yeah. the rest of the story. So, what was it like to kind of cut down what you wanted to say, but like you said, front loaded where it worked with the theme?
2: Yeah, um, I think um, in this version that I told, uh, where it was much more of a, uh, a detailed build up. Um, I think I did talk a lot more about the, the burdens of being an immigrant um, kid. And uh, the second time I told it, um, I kept it shorter, tighter um, and much more lighthearted. So talking about writing your own excuse notes for absences, you know, that got a a few more chuckles. Um, I still included the Swanson's family dinners, you know, that kind of Mm thing. (laughs) So, yeah, but I kept it shorter. I didn't sort of prolong the the story. Um, and that's something that I still struggle with. There have been a couple of times where I've performed um, at other live storytelling events. And uh, I think this is combined with this idea of being a translator as a kid growing up. I've, I've been thinking about this. When you especially are translating for your parents, you grow up with this kind of culture where the people who are, listening to you the ones that you have to translate um, you know all this all these stories into uh, or what your parents are saying into English language so you're talking to somebody in the social Security office or somebody in the DMV they don't want details they want you mm-hmm. to be as tight and short and to the point as possible they don't want to hear your backstory and so a struggle for me in storytelling is, getting out of that mode of, all right, let's go directly to the point. When that was most of the first half of my life was always about not telling us, you know, detailed story and giving context because nobody wanted to hear the context. Interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I
2: imagine it makes you
0: kind of, hold on to the details that matter the most because you have to convey them, so you can't hold on to all the fluffy stuff. You're like, here's what you need to know, and exactly. move on. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, but something gets lost in translation because people just say, I don't want to hear that. I just mm-hmm. want to hear the bottom line. Um, and then that kind of gets squashed in your your personality or in, in how you, uh, I think, communicate ideas. And so, oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, as an educator also, it's, you know, I, I teach at a college. You know, I've got 65 minutes for my lecture. I've got a lot of stuff to cover. And so I've got to get it out as quickly as possible. And so um, only in the last three, four years, I've gotten into storytelling. And it's a really good exercise for me because it's to unlearn all those other ways that I've had to learn how to keep the story tight and not share the details.
1: It's interesting. One of, one of the questions we ask everyone is, you know, does, do you use storytelling at all? In in your life. And yeah. So it sounds like you're learning how to incorporate it more. Yeah. T- so what is it? You, t- you teach at Beloit College, right? Yeah, I
2: teach at Beloit College. Um, I'm an anthropology professor. So I teach sociocultural anthropology and linguistic anthropology. Um, and so I train all sorts of students to go out in the world and to learn about and to understand culture. Uh, And I use a lot of my life, actually, to um, give illustration as to, you know, how culture works a particular way. So, um, you know, I talk about the fact, I think on the first day of class, I talk about the fact that culture is very much in our bodies, whether you realize it or not. Um, You know, I make all the students stand up and I say, how many of you can do the Asian squat? And um, the Asian squat is basically squatting on the ground and keeping your, your heels actually on the ground. And... If you grow up in an Asian culture where you're preparing food on the floor or you're using squat toilets, it's a it's no problem. And a lot of students who don't grow up with that, it's not in their bodies. They've never trained their um, their thigh muscles. The hamstrings are or the too, hamstr- tight. Yeah, yeah. too tight. Yeah, too tight. And so, and, you know, that, that's why it's a struggle like in yoga class to do particular positions. But for those of us who have had to like do your laundry by hand and your squatting, it's already built into your body. That's how culture works and so I talked to students about growing up in the states but never owning a washer and dryer Um, my parents didn't and so we did all our
1: laundry squatting interesting yeah and it's built into your body what's another example of like something that's built into our body I'm just curious
2: um well, not so much built in your body, but how you use your body. Um, so, I think the stereotypical thing that we talk about is, you know, gestures with your hands. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, people yeah, say, so. oh, yeah, Italians use a lo- their hands a lot. Um, for uh, Filipinos, when we point, we use our lips. So, you pucker your lips and you point to where you're going to go. Um, or greetings. Um that's something that's very sort of cultural within um, minority cultures in the United States where we call it like sort of the knot of recognition. That black knot, yeah. So, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And um, you know, it's kind of a cultural shorthand that sometimes other folks may not understand is is built into a particular like subculture. So there's all sorts of ways we use our body. And I like to, I guess, keep tabs on how these kinds of differences work and to point it out to students because culture is everywhere. They just don't realize. don't really notice it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I like how you're talking about how like our bodies hold our stories. That's interesting. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we can't, it's it's very hard to, to come up with these kind of universals. You know, the way we think about gender categories is culturally contingent. Um, the way we think about, um, you know, age and things like that. Different cultures have different um, grades of, you know, when they think somebody has reached adulthood. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another question we like
0: to ask is what's your favorite thing to do here in Madison?
2: Oh, uh, favorite thing to do here in Madison. Well, when the kids were younger, we used to go to the zoo quite a bit, um, but they've gotten older. I've got a preteen and, you know. That's not cool. A fourth yeah. Grader. Yeah. yeah, the preteen is just kind of on his phone a lot when uh, we go to the zoo, but um, we just like to eat out a lot. Uh, and so we usually come up here for, um, actually for dim sum um, okay. or we go for Vietnamese food um, just because where I live in Beloit, there's... I, the one Chinese restaurant. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's really important for my kids to have um, close connection to um, being Southeast Asian. So we come up here grocery shopping and just, you know, eating Asian food. Um, yeah.
0: Got to keep those stories alive. So keep them connected
1: to the culture.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's really important um, for, for me.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Thank, Thank you, you very much for sharing your stories.
2: Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great. Thanks.
0: That was great. I'm glad we got Jennifer here and um, listened to her story. Yeah, today.
1: I enjoyed it. And it's, it's interesting for me because I, I've heard all these stories like you know, two years ago, three years ago. And then to have a chance to hear some of my favorite ones again, it was, it was great to have her in the studio.
0: Nice. Brought back some memories, huh? Yep. Nice.
1: So we would like to thank Richard. For doing the audio and letting us use his studio, oddly arranged media. Check it out if you have any interest in having a recording studio for any reason.
0: Next great. Uh, 608 star. Hit Richard up.
1: And if you want to get in touch with us, we are available. That's not the right word. We are well, we're available through email at Inside Stories Podcast, all one word at gmail.com. We also are on Facebook and um, you can find it there. And if you are
0: um the next great 608 star, and you have some music you want to let us sample for free, for free, um, please feel free to email that to us, and we'd be happy to use your clip before and after um, the show for and outros.
1: And I want to thank Madison um, Arts Commission for giving us a little money to get this podcast going. And let us know if there's any storytelling events that you think we should know about or you have audio of a story you want us to listen to. Just send us an email, and we'll get back in touch with you. All right. We love ideas. So thanks a lot and see you next week. See you next time.